0: You're listening to EVH and Gear TV, brought to you by Design39 Media. Visit design39media.com for all your website, photography, and video production needs. Microphones for EVH and Gear TV are provided by Rode Microphones. An
1: official Van Halen merchandise is provided by vanhalenstore.com. And now, here's your host from Ontario, Canada, EVH artist Eric Broadbent hey everyone it is the weekend happy friday to you all we are watching evh and gear tv we are live and making a long overdue i mean a very long overdue return autographs steve lynch steve how you doing
0: i'm doing great thanks for having me on again
1: it's been a pleasure been looking forward to this one for quite some time
0: yeah absolutely me too
1: fantastic before we get into the program here tonight folks we've got a bunch of people jumping over in the chat we're gonna have some fun a little bit of a different approach here to the show Partway through the program, uh, Steve has generously uh, offered to show us a couple really cool licks, so if any of you guys and girls out there have your guitars handy, and as I tried to mention, probably not all of you got to see it on Facebook, but Steve tunes down a full step, that's correct? Yes, that's correct. So a full, full step. step, full step down, and he's going to teach us a couple of his kind of really cool licks, so we have a little bit of a bonus for EVH and Gear TV fans here tonight. But that's coming up shortly into the program. And if any of you are new here tonight, if it's your first time to the channel, if you would uh, be so uh, kind to subscribe, I promise to work just as hard to keep you as a subscriber as we did to get you here. And Steve, since the last time it's been, I don't even know how long it's been, about eight, nine months, I think, since the last time yeah. you're on here. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, maybe a year, right? Yeah. Maybe somewhere in there. But you've had an incredibly, incredibly busy tour. Started in January, and I was looking at the tour dates; so it goes right into May of next year. So, kind of tell us what you've been doing all, uh, since last your last visit here.
0: Uh, touring a lot. Uh, we released the uh, the new album. Um, you know, get off your ass, and uh, we've been uh, writing some more stuff, and uh, we've released a couple of videos: "Get Off Your Ass" and "Every Generation," that people can view on on uh, YouTube, and and we've been keeping the. The store going and everything like that at autographband.com. So if people want merch, always people are always asking me about merch. So, you know, go to just autograph.com and it's right there.
1: Fantastic. We we have a couple links as well, too, that we'll be sharing throughout the evening. We've got your uh, your Twitter, Instagram, and, of course, the website as well, too. So those will be posted and they'll be shared in the chat as well, too. Actually, they're in the description right now. So people can uh-huh. follow that, but that's good. So, um, yeah, I didn't, I didn't realize the merch was available there. So that's awesome. Yeah, yeah perfect. Very, very good. If they can't make the concert, at least they can still get some of the uh, the swag as well. Right. Fantastic. I'm going to say hi to a bunch of people jumping in the chat that want to say hi to you, and we'll jump back to them quite a few times throughout the evening. Sure. Um, They're jumping in nice and early before the show even started. Sean Close is here. Uh, he says, uh, hey, uh, uh, heck yeah, Steve Lentz, my friend and I saw Autograph and Striper last Saturday here in Vegas at the Canary uh, Casino and got a picture with him. Great guy and great player. So that's cool. Got some fans in the house. Yeah, cool, yeah. Yeah. Those, they'd be a fun band to play with, eh, Michael and, and the guys? Striper, would be fun to play with.
0: Oh yeah, Striper was great. Yeah, they're great guys, and they're they're a great band, and so we had a lot of fun with them. We played a few shows with them.
1: Yeah, was was Oz back with them then?
0: Not back in the '80s, more recently.
1: No, no, I know, no, 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 that. But like, no, was Oz Fox playing with them last last week? There, he was talking about.
0: Yes. uh-huh.
1: Okay, he's back. Good, good to see him back on the stage. Alan Hollers joining in from Detroit. Tesla Troops is here. Says can't wait. Ricky Mees. Um, get him to talk about some of the two-hand tap and slide like he did on turn up the radio. Yeah, we'll be talking about that a lot t- tonight, some of the okay. two-hand tapping. Um, and Alan Holler is asking to, to talk about how your gear has evolved over the years. We'll get into that as well tonight as well. Um, Phoenix van der Vaiden, um, all the way from over in Brazil, she's saying, uh, can't wait, Steve is my biggest influence. She's a, a master shredder herself, so uh, apparently you're one Very of cool. her biggest influences.
0: Yeah, very cool. Nice to hear.
1: Yeah, yeah. F- f- uh, my good friend Carlos Santon from Canada here. Happy Friday, everyone. Thank you, Steve. I love your playing and willingness to teach and share. All right. Very cool. Car- Carlo <laughs> is, a, is a school teacher, so you know different different background, but still teaching. I know you've got a, a, a illustrious career in, in teaching. So whether you're teaching yeah. guitar or teaching sports, or whatever, it's still teaching, right? Oh yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I,
0: I teach here down in uh, the Tampa Bay area, and so still doing it. Still, still got some students, and uh, I like the one-on-one thing and uh, I enjoyed doing clinics as well. I did a lot of clinics. I did like 325 clinics in 20 different countries. So. Oh man, yeah, (laughs) it was pretty tiring. But (laughs) yeah, I I bet. Do,
1: Do you find a lot of times too teaching? Like I'm sure there's sometimes you know teaching can become it's a job too, and it can be stressful at times. But do you find you learn sometimes from your students as well?
0: Yeah, I do. I'm. What I do is I teach a lot of songwriting. Too. And so that kind of brings out a lot in me because well, I'll have a student bring in just a beginning piece, you know, to a song and then we'll, I'll say, okay, here's the different directions you can go with it and everything. Here's the next part and everything. And so um, I really enjoy that a lot because it brings out my creativity as far as writing goes. And then I'd like to see my students come along as far as um, how to construct solos because I don't really improvise solos. In fact, I never have. I've always recorded solos. Like for Turn Up the Radio, that was seven, eight-hour days that I put into that solo. Wow. I actually went into the studio and did it because I'm very picky about, you know, how the song sounds, you know, in the—or in the um, or how the solo sounds in the song and make sure it fits right. You know, when I come in, I make sure it blends with the vocals, and uh, when I come out, I want to make sure that it sounds right with the vocals and everything. So there's a lot of— uh, uh, construction that there's that you know composition that actually gets put into it and but I like doing it that way because I like to find the perfect solo for each song
1: I like that so in other words instead of like a lot of players out there you know there's no real right or wrong but a lot of players will whatever feels good in the moment and they capture it then they've almost got to go back and learn what they did when they go play it live it's like what did right. they do there right so yeah. for you it's the opposite way you you orchestrate it and it's constructed so it's probably much easier for you to repeat again and again accurately
0: Right. After 22 years off from autograph, though, I had to go and do my homework because I didn't remember some of the parts. Am I doing this with my right hand and my left hand or am I just doing it with my left hand? You know, I mean, uh, it was it was hard to tell some of the parts, you know, but I, I, des- I deciphered it and it eventually all came together.
1: Did you Did you watch any YouTube videos of people um, copying autograph to go learn it? <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> I, people still, still send them to me, you know, and uh, God, some of them just nail it. You know, they just nail it perfectly on you know, Turn Up the Radio and stuff and some of our other solos. So That's it's really
1: cool to see. Looking at some of your videos online today and uh, searching for some of your solo videos on, on show day, I always like to get in the mindset of the guests. So I was watching a lot of your guitar solos, and we'll talk about some of them later tonight too. But I, I did see that same thing. I saw a list of people doing all covers of attributes uh, to you. And what's so cool, no matter who the guitar player is, whether it's you or Eddie Van Halen or Ingve Malmsteen or whoever your hero is, you know, the, there's always somebody that does something really, really cool by the guitar. So, like, there might be one guy or girl that's copying one of your tapping parts. But nobody ever does them exactly like you, the artist. But you see all these different interpretations. And it's neat to see how people interpret your music and your, your style. It's very, very cool.
0: Yeah, exactly. They kind of, like my students, you know, when I, when I show them things. And plus, people that learn out of my books and stuff. They they kind of take their, their own view of it and, and go their own way and kind of innovate something into their own You know, playing style. And I think that's really cool. That's what I want them to do. It's not to copy me exactly. I just give them the tools to work with.
1: Yeah. Well, I really like the point that where you said that you focus heavily on songwriting at a at an entry early entry point too, because a lot of people you see these young kids on social media, and when I say kids, anybody that's under thirty to me is considered a kid these days. Right. But you know, it's um, showing these great chops and stuff like that, but they lack in songwriting. They can't write a song to save their life, and it's nothing to you know nothing bad about them. I'm not saying anything negative. It's the fact they haven't had the experience. They haven't jammed with bands. They haven't written you know rough right. songs. So I think getting those skills long before you can shred is uh, is a because gr- there's great songs out there that have no shred.
0: I'm really a stipulator on teaching people how to write songs, how to construct songs, because I mean you're really not going to get anywhere. I mean there's you know how many shredders are out there
2: that mm-hmm. are just playing
0: their ass off, you know. But um, the thing is, is you got to be able to fit that into you know a rhythmic structure first of all. So you got to play with people, and you got to play with the metronome even before that. But uh, what's important is your creativity. Take it a little bit from each different player that, that you really like. Like take some of your favorite things from like Steve Vai or Joe Satriani, or, or like you said, A.V. Malmsteen or Eddie Van Halen or whoever the guitarist may be. You know, just take a little bit from that, your favorite parts of them, and then, you know, go, go from there on it. The last person I really listened to was Alan Holesworth yeah. in 1978 off the UK album and off the Jean-Luc Ponty's uh, album, uh, Enigmatic Ocean. And I just loved his playing, but then I stopped listening to guitar players at that point because of the fact that I, I just, everything I heard, I started absorbing because everything I, I hear, I remember. Right. And so then I find it coming out in my playing, you know, and I found out a lot with, with Jeff Beck, you know, when I was playing And I just stopped listening altogether in 1978 um, after listening to Alan Holdsworth and being influenced by him, I just thought, you know what? I got to just go on my own path. And I thought Alan Holsworth was doing a lot of stuff two-handed, but he just had this big, long stretch with this left hand that he was doing, and and uh, it just sounded so legato and just just so melodic. And the, the phrases that he was playing, it was just just incredible.
1: I'm really glad you mentioned him as well, too, because obviously a huge influence on Eddie Van Halen, and you know, we're, we're not going to go down the Eddie Van Halen rabbit hole too far tonight, but I mean, uh, one of my uh, people, I always ask guests on the show, what's your favorite uh, Van Halen tone period or album, and for me, it's fair warning, and one of the, the biggest reasons is that Eddie was really heavily influenced by Alan at that time, and you're just hearing right. these crazy skit scat, you, know, you know, scatterbrain riffs, and uh, like the fluidness between solos and stuff like that, it was like it was a real turning point in his... You know, I think it was uh, maturity in his playing. Not that he necessarily yep. needed maturity, but he—he he, um, it was just really got came to life, and that's Alan Holdsworth for sure. But I do agree with you. Listening to this stuff, you have to turn it off, or eventually, without even thinking about it, you're going to come up with something, and it's going, oh my god, that sounds like so and so. How how did that happen? Yep. While I was listening to it yesterday,
0: that's what I was realizing, and that's why I just stopped listening to players. And I think a lot of players, it's like you know George Lynch and and myself and Eddie, we're all we're all 63 years old. Mm-hmm. You see, so we're all of the same age. And so we, get, we grew up on that same bowl of Cheerios, the same guys, like probably early on, like Eric Clapton and Jeff Beck and, you know, Jimmy Page and of course, Jimi Hendrix, you know, he was one of my first earliest uh, influences. So yeah, you know, we all grew up with the same players, you know, basically, but we went our own way with it. And then we listened to later players like Alan Holdsworth and all Jimmy Ola and John McLaughlin, and stuff like that, which kind of took me on a whole different adventure.
1: That's right, and here's something that I agree with you, and I believe this story 100% about you saying how you turn stuff off, because a lot of people that aren't, you know, you know, kind of in the know of your your history and your career, a lot of people think, okay, well, autographs just another '80s band, it's tapping at Eddie Van Halen, but no, it's not. And if if I have some of my facts correct, you know, I'm trying to prepare for the show. Um, number one, you were doing a lot of this stuff before you'd even really heard what Eddie was doing. Was it, uh, uh, Chapman from the Chapman stick and, yeah. uh, Harvey, Harvey Mandel, which I had, I went down a couple rabbit holes of YouTube today and holy cow. I'll talk about that in a minute. Some stuff, great discoveries, just yeah. learning more about you. But, uh, those guys were doing a certain thing that, you know, up until the point uh, of your career, like you, you wanted something else. You wanted to, you know, hear different sounds coming out of the instrument and it just wasn't done in a traditional way. So is that somewhat correct?
0: Yeah, that is correct. Exactly. It was Harvey Mandel was the first one I actually saw playing it, but there's a guy from 1964 that you can Google. Um, he's playing it on classical guitar. 1964, 2 headed you know, Italian guitar player. Yeah, I wrote and his he, name down. He's playing on classical, and he's actually a doctor. And he's playing all this wild stuff, you know. But then, um, the first one I saw playing it live was Harvey Mandel, and I I had already been doing a little bit because this guy in Seattle named Steve Buffington. Had been doing it as well. i was watching him play and he was about the same age as me as well And so I asked him what he was doing. He showed me a couple of things and then right right after that I saw Harvey Mandel play and he was doing you know two and three finger stuff and I just went Wow, That's really cool. So I started experimenting with it But then what really got me was when I was first going to the Guitar Institute of Technology and I saw you know uh, Emma Chapman the inventor Mm -hmm. of the Chapman stick and uh, What happened with that was he was up there playing this incredible instrument, you know, five, five strings that you play on the, on the bass strings for comping and everything. And then you, then you play with your right hand and you're playing melodies and solos and everything. And, and so I just thought it was really cool that he was separating strings like that, five strings for the bass and five strings for the, for the higher melodies and everything. Um, and he said that he got started on guitar and he just took it so far that he had to make, come up with an instrument to accompany himself better. And that's why he invented this instrument. But I asked him after the clinic, I said, so what were you talking about when you said that you got so far with guitar, you know? And um, so I handed him my guitar. He said, let me see your guitar and I'll show you. And so he just, I just handed him the guitar and he showed me like a pentatonic scale. And, I, and then he showed what you can do over the top of it and everything and just the lights went off, you know? And <laughs> it, was, it was a good thing because it was right at the beginning of the school. And so I was just learning. All the different positions of the pentatonic, all the major scales, all the arpeggios, all the intervals and and, uh, triads and everything. And so I took it all and I started writing it down so that you could play each different thing two-handed. All the pentatonic positions, all the triads and all that kind of stuff. And and it just I just kept on writing and writing and writing. By the end of the year, I had a stack about that thick of pages that I'd written on how all of the curriculum that was coming from the school you could do it actually two-handed.
1: So you were probably one of, if not the pioneer of that style. Was is, is that correct? Well, at least one of them for sure?
0: Uh, probably one of them because uh, what I did was I I wrote the book on it, you know, and I think that that's the first thing. And I yeah. really thought, like, how does this really, really play into using both hands on the fingerboard to actually play these scales and, and combine different effects and everything like sliding and bending and vibrato and all that kind of stuff and uh, pull offs, everything to make it sound more interesting. Because, uh, you know, I, I was in a school all of jazz players, and that's all it was, and all the teachers there were jazz teachers. There was a couple fusion teachers, like my teacher from Seattle, Don Mock. Mm-hmm. Uh, but most of it was old school jazz guys. And so I was kind of picking their brain. But what I really wanted to do was I wanted to, you know, incorporate all those ideas into more of a rock mode. That's why I have a little bit more of a melodic sense, I think, that a lot of uh, other guitar players, because I'm thinking more jazz than I am um, You know, rock stuff sure. typical, uh, You know, like uh, pentatonic riffs and stuff like that Which are great, but I just wanted to take it a step further And so as, as far as being a pioneer in the technique I guess I was because I hadn't heard anybody doing The interval skips and stuff like that And using triads and, and all that and, into the, Incorporating into their songs, which I do a lot See, what I do when I'm writing is I try to play against each chord that's going by, Okay, you know, not just playing over the top of it in the same key, but I listen to each chord that's going by. And I'll break that down a little bit in the solo when I explain, you know, what I'm doing and turn up the radio and stuff so, you know, people can see exactly what I'm talking about.
1: I like that. One of the riffs I saw you doing—you might even demonstrate that later on tonight too. This was really, really cool. It's almost like you know, you, you, I picture it like a drunk guy coming out of the bar at night, and he, he takes three steps forward, and he, and he falls back two, takes three more. So you're doing these riffs where you're, it's a two-hand tapping, but you'll do—you'll uh, go up three, down one, up three again, and, and it creates this really, really cool um, energy and across the net. And it's, and it's, it's, not, it's not as hard as what it, it, it is. I mean, it sounds harder than what it is. But it's so cool. Run. Up up down and go back a step, then up three strings, you know, it's so so cool. Maybe we'll demonstrate some of that tonight. But I love that. It's just like and it makes a riff carry across the fretboard, you know, and then do it in a different position. I love it.
0: So yeah, we'll get into whatever you want to get into because um, you know, I'm willing to share the information that I have. I mean that's what I've been doing, is writing books about and trying to get all that information out there.
1: That's awesome. So we'll
0: I share everything. It's like, here, take this and then do what you can with it. Yeah, you know, here's what to work with and then just have a good day. <laughs> that's, that's right. Well,
1: we'll give we'll give people a couple little freebies and then we'll send them your way for your books and things like that as well too. But I did write that guy's name down cuz I saw that guy today, the Italian guy, and I'm not going to pronounce the name right, um but Vittorio Ca- Ca- Daisy, and he was a radiologist. Like you yeah, like you said scientist, a radiologist. And what I liked about his style, he was playing like on I, I believe it was a nylon string uh, guitar. Yeah. But he had the real percussiveness like what Eddie would have probably, I I mean, I've never heard Eddie talk about him ever, ever in an interview, but it was very percussive like you would hear on Mean Street, you know, like a very percussive. Yes. Isn't that cool? Yes, exactly. Yeah, you guys got to look it up. Vittorio Camardese. I think C A M A R D E S E. Very very cool. So and back in the sixties, it's a good quality video too, considering you know uh, you know the technology they had back then. But let's let's jump over to the chat for a quick second. Again, we'll say hi to a few more people, and we'll come back to some more cool stuff. Uh, Alan Holler is saying uh, hopefully the mixer is working. I blew up my mixer here last week. It went up in a puff of smoke, and I've had it since replaced. So we're good. Uh, Quentin James is here saying, hey kids, Jason Wade, uh, hey dude, uh, Steve Lynch, holy crap, one of my childhood heroes, freaking awesome. Uh, uh, for heroes of, for all of us, for sure. I can't tell you how many times I played, I remember on uh, on cassette tape, wearing out, turn up the radio, just rewind that song, and even before I even had the tape, I would record it off my local Detroit radio station and <laughs> just play it over and over. I mean, talk about a great song. Um, and w- let's let's stay on that for a second. Wasn't that a song that the label didn't even want?
0: Yes, Yes. RCA didn't really want us to put on put it on the record. They thought that the the song Sender to Me should be the first single. They thought that was the strongest one. And we argued with them saying that, hey, look at this one's called Turn Up the Radio. You know, I mean radio stations are gonna absolutely love it. Yeah. And of course they did. So we eventually got our way. You know, we put it on the album, kind of we kind of snuck around and went into the studio and did it. (laughs) And, And, you know. Just, just completely recorded the whole thing. They didn't want us to do that, and so we did it. And then, what we did was we went in after they heard it, and they went, "Yeah, that's actually a really good song." Because they had just heard the demo before. But um, uh, what we did was we went into the studio, and we did all the call letters for all the different, you know, stations around the whole U.S. and Canada, saying, "Hey, turn it up, KPUZ. You know, this is autograph. Turn it up." You know, and, and so we went in, it took us two eight-hour days to get all the radio stations, you know, call letters, but it was us doing it, you know, in the studio live. And so um, we sent those out to everybody, and every every radio station just played the heck out of it. So it, it was a really good concept to be able to do that, and, and uh, you know, they still do it to this day. Hey, turn it up, you know, and they... they
1: they crank up that song. Exactly. Now, a lot of bands, sometimes certain songs, you know, I'll, I'll use a band like Extreme. I like Extreme a lot as well too. Uh-huh. Gary Sharona, you know, uh, a Van Halen alumni for, for a short bit there. But sometimes bands get, they kind of hate the songs that made them hum- uh, like a huge, like more than words. You know, I'm sure the band's kind of like, ugh, you right. know. But what, did Turn It Up, turn up the radio, did it ever bother you in that sense? It was, you're kind of labeled as that song band or did you love it or a, a kind of a mixed emotions on it now looking back?
0: You know, I think that we have better songs, actually. Commercially, I don't know if all of them, you know, really compare to that. Mm -hmm. But the fact that there's better produced songs, there's more interesting songs. Like one of my favorites is All I'm Gonna Take. And then there's a lot of songs off the third album. The third album is actually my favorite album, which is um, Loud and Clear. That one was at the peak of our writing and our production. You know, that was, and we we worked with Andy Johns and Mm -hmm. by that you know, all of us were pretty good um, engineers and producers ourselves, you know, because previous to Autograph, we were in the studio a lot. Like, like when we got signed in basically 84, I was 29 years old. So I'd already had a lot of experience in the studio. And so were the other guys. The other guys were actually a few years older than me, you know, except for Kenny the drummer. He was, he was a year younger than me. But all the other guys were three years older than me. And so we had had tons of studio experience, and so when we came together, it went really fast. It's kind of like a, almost like a Toto thing, where everybody had they. We weren't session players, but we had had a lot of uh, studio experience previously.
1: Yeah, there's and and doing some research. It's cool that you mentioned Toto because um, I, I don't have the full facts, but both you and Steve Lukather had did something for was it for, for, I want to say Emerson Lake and Palmer, or no yes. was it? Yes. And it, but it didn't make it to didn't make it, but still you were there in this.
0: That was my first recording gig after uh, I graduated from the Guitar Institute. Okay. And I think it was um, possibly Tommy Tedesco. Oh, wow. Who turned me on to that. He said, hey, you know, Greg Lake from Emerson, like Palmer is looking for a guitar player. <laughs> and he heard your demo that you did at the Guitar Institute. And he really wants you to come in and lay down some tracks. So I ended up laying down some tracks. And um, they had um, other people come in, too. Um, one of them was Steve Lukather. And I think what they ended up doing was they scrapped the whole album, because there was <laughs> there's a lot of uh, drugs and booze going on in the studio. <laughs> and they had they'd spent a ton of money, and they weren't sure which direction they were going in. And, you know, Greg Blake's such an uh, emotional singer and, and great writer. But uh, I think what they eventually did was they got Gary Moore to come in and just do the whole album with them.
2: Oh, wow. Was
0: going in so many fragmented directions. You know, having all these different players on the whole thing, which I thought was cool. Yeah. You know, um, um, I don't know if they ever used any of them. I never heard the album. I don't know if they ever used any of the stuff. I only played on two or three songs on the album. But what? A, our players come in.
1: What a cool experience! I mean, the, the small fact too that obviously being a, um, you know, you talk about you guys. Uh, age at that time you know you were kind of not like to, like like the 18 20 year olds you know you'd seen a lot of these gigs you're kind of seasoned pros at that point so that works very yeah. very well going to a studio bang 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 you're saving the studio a lot of money you're the hero you know i mean they want to pay you as little as they can anyways i'm sure you know to get right. the job done but you saved the studio a lot of money so probably uh, your name was probably a favorite in the rolodex of people to call on quite a bit
0: yeah i got quite a few calls uh for different soundtracks and stuff i played on this uh Oh God! Uh, this Japanese—I think her name was uh, uh, Tamiko or something like that—and okay. I played on a few of her albums. And she was popular, really popular in Japan at the time. But she was doing all the recording at Daftland Studios in North Hollywood, and uh, so I was called in quite a bit on that one, and just a, a variety of stuff. You know, just it goes on and on and on. So, um, but I'd come in and lay down a track or two. They just—they just liked me because I was—I sounded so different from everybody else.
1: That's cool. Yeah. That's the thing. That's probably a piece of advice. The thing
0: is people really recognize, you know, when you stand out, when you have your own thing, you don't have to be really fast. The thing is, is be really unique and innovative and very tasty in, in what you play against the song. And you're going to get calls left and right. Just like with Steve Lukather, I mean, look at Steve Lukather. How much he works? He works a ton, you know. And uh, because he's just a really tasty player, and he knows exactly what to play for each different song, and he's really fast in the studio. Same thing with you know Lee Ritenour and and Larry Carlton and all these guys that um, are, have been heavy duty session players for years and years.
1: That's fantastic. Um, I, I'd love to hear some of these sessions. I would just love to be a fly in the wall. I mean, if we, we may not get to hear all of them, um, but if there's some out there, bootleg somewhere, I'd love to discover some of these. It'd be fantastic.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: For sure. A uh, couple couple more comments here, and we'll jump back over to some more questions here. Nocturnal Butterfly, that's my better half. She's running the chat here very efficiently. She can, hi, all. Uh, Ricky Meese, hey, everyone. Let me see, Connor is here. Scott Connor, Fender Guru is here. Uh, Sean Close. Um, John kerrys he's, he's saying that might be a Kiesel, but I know it's not a Kiesel. What guitar are you playing at the moment? That's a new, As a new signature?
0: This is a Roberts guitar. It's a, a Dale Roberts. Lives up in Jacksonville, Florida. It just has a little shop up there. But I went up there and I uh, was uh, looking at, uh, you know, because uh, Jimmy Bell, you know who Jimmy Bell is? Just a mm-hmm. monster player. Yep. And uh, uh, he told me about, uh, about uh, Dale. And so I went up and checked out a shop and we came up with this one here. And I have a couple of them now, um, but you can see how thin the body is. Yeah. I'm on full screen right now, you can see how thin the body is and how contoured the back is. See, all this is carved out back here. So you even up to the 24th fret, you don't feel anything up here. Nice. Got a super skinny neck. You know, maple neck on the front, ebony on the on the uh, for the fingerboard, and um, it's uh, just got a couple high output pickups actually from Dean. It's it's like the um god i can't remember the name of them but mm-hmm. they're they're just super high output and we got floyd rose pro on it and and uh, but it just plays and it's really light and it just plays like better than any guitar i've ever played because i just i kept on telling them no let's take more off here let's take more off here let's make this thing just like a speed machine so that it plays itself and there's no finish on the back of the neck none whatsoever nice so, so i like it i like to feel bare wood back there i can't play a guitar with painting on it you know with with a finish on the back because. I sweat so much on stage, my hands start sticking. So that just doesn't work for me.
1: Now, now the only thing you might find, and I find with some of my unfinished necks, sometimes if you play, I know you've done like the monsters of rock cruises and things like that, but maybe some festivals where there's extreme humidity, it can also work against you a little bit with an unfinished neck. Do you find that sometimes?
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, when you're out on a ship and you're playing outside, you're going to get affected by it. You know what I mean? So, and I, well, I live in Florida anyway, but, (laughs) but, um, you know, I'm, in an air conditioned place right here so that makes the big difference but yeah the humidity can definitely affect you and it's also the ocean air just the salt in the air too
1: yeah that'd be yeah i've never experienced that like playing wise so i wouldn't know but i know i've played some outdoor gigs where it gets you know damp at night and you're like oh my my neck feels like a sponge almost right exactly yeah no i've i've seen that guitar and actually i think it was on the monsters of rock cruise i've seen you've been playing the deans you know as you're because you're a dean artist um are you, are you still an artist on the roster there Uh, artist on the what? On the Dean roster? Are you still a Dean artist as well?
0: Well, you know, um, I'm looking at going to a different place right now because they have some guitars that I'm really interested in. I just want them to make. It has like the Sustainiac in it, which I'm a big fan of, Mm -hmm. and it's all built into the guitar. So I'm looking at actually going with them. We have been with Dean for a few years, but um, they seem to be going more for the real, you know, the guys that are the heavy... Uh, seven string players and everything, the real heavy, heavy The Rusty stuff. Coolies
1: but, of the world and stuff like that.
0: Yeah. And so that's, you know, so um, I want a company that will be more into building my specific yeah. guitar. You know, and and um, so I'm, I'm talking with uh, a company right now, as a matter of fact.
1: Well, that's cool. Well, this one that you just showed us here, which is really cool about when you showed us the side profile, it kind of reminded me just, you know, if I'm just going to make a couple comparisons, you know, the, um, kind of the midline Kramers back in the day when they were like very mm. thin. And then also Ibanez as well, too, would become like the jo- Satriani and things like that. Um, right. very, very, very thin. Like, you know, it's almost, you wonder how you can get a Floyd Rose block in those things.
0: Right. Exactly. Well, um, I used to play. I had an S series, you know, when they first came out. I've been series. That was the real slim model. This one's even skinnier than that. But um, uh, when back in the day, I always used Kalers.
2: Yeah, I remember that. The
0: fact that they would just fit on the top and they stayed in tune really, really well. And um, of course, you don't have to cut the balls of the strings off and and clamp them down in there and everything. You just pop it in and string it up, and it's, it's super fast. And uh, uh, I just, I never had a problem with the sustain at all. A lot of people complained about the sustain with it because it wasn't through body and everything. You didn't have it connected to springs like an old Stratocaster or something, you know? So it was all just self-contained with these really heavy-duty little springs on the inside. You know what K was so like. Right? Oh, well, of course I do. And so, you know, I just, um, I would have stayed with them uh, actually, but, you know, when uh, I started having guitars made for me, like everybody said, well, you know, it's kind of a, it's kind of tough to make it for Kaler. I'm going. Well, you don't have to. You don't have to gut them out on the back or anything. I yeah. mean, it's just all flush mount. You know, you just have to, you know, uh, carve out that little little spot in the front for it to fit into, and that's it. So,
1: do you think it, you th- not to might, make it to
0: go back with Kaler? Actually, yeah.
1: Do Do you think it's a, a unfair comparison or maybe a close, accurate comparison that Kaler was the beta and Floyd is the VHS? You know, like yes. you know, maybe better in some ways. But the marketing, yeah. the marketing just wasn't there, whereas Floyd, you know, it just took off.
0: Right. And it's funny, because I, I met uh, Floyd Rose in Seattle. Mm-hmm. And uh, this was back in, when we were playing, I was playing at a group called Silverload back up there in the, the mid-70s. And we were one of the more popular Seattle bands at the time. And Floyd Rose came up to me in between songs, and he was really drunk, and he was, I was playing a Strat. And... Um, he says, hey, man, I can make that thing sound so much better, man. It, it stayed tuned perfectly and everything. I just this and this to it. And it was a 62 Strat. I'm going, no way. I'm not going to have you carve up my Strat, you know. And so basically, you know, uh, but he was drunk. And then yeah. we eventually had him thrown out.
2: <laughs> oh, my God.
0: And then years later, I'm remembering that name, Floyd Rose, because it's such an unusual name. Of course. And, um, then I went, oh, wait. He's that guy in Seattle that we had thrown out of the club because he was drunk and obnoxious and he was bugging us between every song. And I, I told him the story when I was at a Nam show, you know, and he just busted up laughing. He's goes, That was you guys? And I said, Yeah, that was us, you know, so I thought it was pretty funny.
1: That's a very funny story. I'll I'll share a very quick antidote with you that I this is one of those ones where you gotta be careful what you say because you never know who you're talking to. You may know right. you may know the story, but there's a guitar pick that I use. This brand of guitar pick is called Dava. And they're not for everybody, but I swear by them. And depending on how you hold them, it's a basically a one gauge for everybody. Depending on where you hold them, they choke up. There is a different gauge to them. And the the owner's name is uh, of the company is Dave Story, and I've been working with Dava since two thousand, and I love him to death. But we're having a conversation early into our relationship, and I was like, I don't know how we started talking about tremolos, but I was like, oh yeah, Kaler, oh man, oof, Kaler, you know, yuck. And he goes, well, did you know I was a co-inventor of Kaler, co-founder? And I am like. Oh, and he was like, you're just looking for someone to bail you out of this conversation, right? Because I had just complained about right. how, bad, how bad it was. But yeah, he's a Dave story. And I don't know who the other fellow was, but there was two people. They were uh-huh. the co-founders of Kaler. And, you know, certainly it would, like I say, we go back to that beta and VHS. You know, they, they I don't think the dive bombs were as nice necessarily on Kaler as on a Floyd, but they certainly were a good tremolo. They stayed in tune and, you know, yep. it, it is what it is.
0: And you could set them up. See, I could get more of a dive-bomb effect out to the point where the strings were completely... Slacked? You know, just completely loose and flopping around, you know. But it depends on how you set it up.
1: Okay. And I've yeah. never I've never owned a true Kaler. I had some courts back in the day that were copies. Uh, mm-hmm. They had a Kaler copy, and they were horrible, the copies. Um, but it yeah. was the same idea. And then, um, you know, the, you know, another Tremolo that came out right around that time, too. What was it the, uh, the Washburn? Was it the Wonder Bar or something like that? No, is that what it's called? Right, yeah. yeah. So, and they, that was kind of between, you had Kayler, you had Steinberger eventually with a trans trim, you had the Wonder Bar and a Floyd Rose. Right.
0: The Steinberger trims, so I like those. And then um, the Parker Fly had their own trim. Yeah. Wow. Well, yeah. Remember D- the Parker guitars, yeah. They
1: stayed in tune nice. Yeah. Yeah. And look at what's on so the pier. I mean, I didn't mean to get on this rabbit hole of tremolos, but look at PRS as well too. Their um, mm-hmm. vintage Strat style floating bridge stays in tune quite nice as well. Like I've got one that's uh, it's just a typical Strat style bridge, but it floats and has locking tuners right. on it. Not a locking nut, but locking tuners, and you can you can dive bomb, and as long as you pull back a little bit, guitar stays in tune pretty damn good.
0: Right. You see, that's the problem was when I first started using Floyd's, I noticed a lot of times when you dive bomb, come back up. You'd have to pull up to get it to go right back in tune. Now you're talking more about a Kaler, or are you talking about the Floyd?
1: Well, I'm talking about I'm talking about the Kalers in that case. Oh, well, Okay, yeah, yeah, I've
0: never had that problem with the Kaler. I have had that with the Floyd before. Okay, and what it was doing was this pinching down here. Yep. You know what I mean? Where the where the slot goes into uh, against the uh, the bolt that goes down into the guitar itself.
2: Yeah.
1: It was
0: pinching somehow because it'd make that popping sound.
1: Ping, a little ping. Yep. And
0: right, yeah, every- and I think what happens is you can wear a groove into that eventually, and so once that, once you do that, then the, the, the bolts, you know, the, they're basically useless after that. You have to get new bolts, and so that's what I did, and it worked fine after that, but that's the only time I'd had a problem with it. Um, with the camera I never had that problem of having to pull it back up again. You oh, know, that's cool. When I brought it back up from a dive, it always came right back up.
1: That's what they always tell you too with the Floyd's, especially you know if you're going to adjust your your height on your bridge, don't do it with. Spr- and I'm I I've done this I'm against all suggestions not to do this. You know I, I never listen, uh, but I've never really ruined a guitar doing it. But you know if I'm in a hurry to set my action on my Floyd, you know you're supposed to uh-huh. take the string t- string tension off because there's so much pressure on those those bolts that you're you're hurting your knife edges as you're lowering that. But, uh, you know, back in the day, everyone was using like, you know, this is long before the days of the nut sauce and all that kind of stuff you put on it It would just be like Vaseline or graphite or any kind of, you know, stuff. And they'd put that literally on the bolt, on the knife edge to keep it smooth,
0: you know, just so. What I do is I I put graphite uh, mixed with Vaseline. Okay. You know, uh, with with like a toothpick.
1: Yep.
0: And uh, then I'd dab it in. I'd loosen up the strings and pop them out of the nut and then I'd put them into the slot on the nut. And that seemed to help out for quite a bit. I mean, because of course, when you're using a non-locking system, what's going to happen is that's where it goes out of tune. Is usually the G string itself actually is the one that always gets stuck. But that puts the whole guitar out of tune if you're on a floating system.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. Once you go to once it once it's off uh, kilter, you know, you're sharp right. or or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And then
0: remember, they had that little micro rolling nut where they were actually on wheels. Yep, Remember that one.
1: I do. I remember because
0: that. It was Buzzy Featon. Buzz Featon. Yep. 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 That uh, that actually discovered that the
1: Buzz and tuning system, and then they had the roller no, nut. Yeah. Yeah, it
0: was fuzzy yeah, Feet that that actually developed that.
1: Fender Fender used something for a while uh, at the same time around that time as well too. Uh, and there's I don't know, I want to call it the Super Strat, if Strat Plus, I think they call it. They had like a roller nut as well, which was kind of cool, and it did uh-huh. it did help a little bit with the tuning. And a little tip I can share with people too that always works, Uh, I find even with Floyd's that um, I know a lot of cases. You you your Floyd pulls backwards, right? Yeah. Oh okay. yeah. Yeah, because you do a lot of yeah, the crazy pullback.
0: I have to be able to pull way up on it too, because that's in a lot of my techniques. Is that I have to pull way up beyond pitch. Yeah. You know, beyond the standard place where you're tuned at. And so um, I have to have a lot of downward room mm-hmm. to, to go down a pitch, and I have to have a lot of room to go upward in pitch as well.
1: Now you're not. You're not. I thought at one time you said you were playing eights. You don't play eights anymore, do you? Eight gauge. I don't. Play with that. Eight gauge strings. No, uh-uh. You're, you're at 9
0: to 42? 9 through 42. Okay. But it's like gauge, eight, 8 gauge be, almost because we're tuned down a whole step.
1: That's true. Yeah, the slinkiness, yeah.
0: Yeah. So it's, it's a really light feel, mm-hmm. you know, but, um, I, you know, I just, it's a lot easier on my hands. And the one thing that, you know, at the age I'm at, you know, I'm a very aggressive player. I pick hard and I play really hard with my left hand and my right hand. You know, when I'm, when I'm hammering on, I, I really hit it. I'm not a light player at all. Right. And so it's it's beating up my hands quite a bit. So if I play with heart, heavy gauge strings, my hands start freezing up. It just doesn't work, you know, because of all the abuse I've given them over the last, well, 50 years now.
1: Yeah, why, why work so hard if you don't have to, right? Don't fight really? those, you know, like, had, you don't have to be Steve Ray. I started
0: playing, you know, to get out a lot of the, you know the harmonics and everything, the pinch harmonics when I was into that and everything, I, I just always had a really, really heavy approach. Just like, um uh, uh kind of like, like Stevie Ray Vaughan, but he, he played, um, with, I think 12.
1: Yeah. Stupid. Crazy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the Super heavy ones. And I'm just going, God, I just don't know how he does that Well, He's also an aggressive player. Mm-hmm. He plays really heavy with his left hand. And I think growing up, listening to blues guys and how they dig into it, you know, and everything. And there's their vibrato and just how aggressively they're picking. Um, it's a lot different from the guys that you see that are that are really picking light and their left hand's, you know, like barely moving, but it's going a million miles an hour. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that's – i learned a completely different way, you know. I mean, it, it helped ease off a little bit when I was when I was going to the Guitar Institute, because I said, oh, you're, you're playing totally wrong. You can't have your thumb up over the top of the neck at all. It always has to be right back in the middle of the neck. I'm going, I can't bend the string that way, and I, I can't vibrato it. It just doesn't work. I know. You know? Um, and they understood that because, uh, you know, when I tried to show them things, like, don't vibrato it back and forth. Try, to, but bending it up and down to get the vibrato. Mm-hmm. And I said, bend it and hold that pitch while you're giving it vibrato. And these guys had the hardest time doing that. They go, Wow, this is a lot harder than I thought. Because I just that that bending with your third finger and holding that note and pitch up a whole step while giving it vibrato. God, I spent months on that alone to be able to perfect that. You know, with with having a slower vibrato. You know, instead of the fast vibrato, that sounds like you're nervous
2: rather
0: than if you're paranoid rather than actually giving it vibrato. You know, you got to relax. The vibrato has to go with the tempo of the song, basically, and you have kind of have to think about that when you're using vibrato.
1: Yeah, here's something I know you'll appreciate, and I know you'll agree with this about. I'm thinking it's probably about two or three months back, somewhere around that neighborhood. I had Paul Gilbert on the show. Uh-huh. and talk about a king of vibrato and one of the tips I, I try to remember a really cool takeaway from every guest and some some guests there's, there's so many that I can't remember them all but and he gave us a lot too but he says always be vibrato ready so wherever you're coming out of going into be be vibrato ready and I I that really yeah. stuck in my head you know be you know yeah. plan it and be ready for it
0: yes absolutely cuz you can't really end a phrase on a dead note
1: no no.
0: You know, you either have to use your vibrato arm to bring it somewhere or you have to give it some vibrato or you have to slide it or something, you know, but you can't, uh, you can't just end on a, on a dead note and just hold it like that. It just doesn't, it doesn't, there's no emotion in it. Vibrato is emotion. Yeah. You know, and, and a re- having a really good vibrato and the right choice of notes, you know, that's, that's what emotion all about.
1: That's right. And you were just a moment ago, you're talking about, you know, uh, you know, positioning and uh, your hand with the thumb and whether some players, you got the thumb over the neck and holding it and and using the thumb as a capo or a chord. One of the people that we talked about earlier, one of your uh, your heroes growing up, obviously, Harvey Mandel. I didn't even really know any of his stuff until today. And he's got Uh some of the stuff he was doing. He's not even using his thumb whatsoever. He's doing some vibrato with his thumb not on the neck of the guitar. And try that sometime for people out there that are trying to try to do some crazy stuff without your thumb. It is very, very weird. Your thumb is a very strong part of your hand. And I saw some of the stuff. He was doing these taps, and he had no thumb grip whatsoever. Isn't that weird? Yeah, wow. Yeah, He's he like he's, he reaches out, and you can actually see his thumb off the neck on the back, and he's doing these crazy little bend things with no strength of the thumb. I don't know how he was doing it, but he does it phenomenal. Wow. Yeah, these are just some I of the old... That
0: if I never noticed Yeah, check you it know... out. And that's the thing about innovation um, is just coming up with something just, just so off the wall. And I think that's what Alan Holdsworth did. See, Alan Holdsworth was uh, he was also a sax player and a violin player. So he was used to the, more of that legato sound. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that that played into his, his uh, really fluid technique. But there was a guy when I was going to the Guitar Institute, uh, this guy Peter, he was from Australia. And he was playing a 335, so they had the... Um, the bridge, you know, and then the tailpiece back here. Well, on the strings back in between the bridge and the tailpiece, he put those little tiny, like stirring straws, Mm -hmm. he put them on the strings, cut them to length and put them on back there. And then he was doing bending while he was picking, he was using his other fingers to bend the pitches of those notes. One would go a whole step and one would go a half step. And I went, this is incredible. It sounds like he's playing a slide, a pedal steel guitar. Yeah. He just had the technique down so well. You know, it, he's, you know, nobody could figure out what he was doing and nobody sounded like him at all, you like, know, and, and but he really stood out and he ended up getting a lot of studio stuff from the, his technique, you know, because he just sounded so different.
1: Like a B-bender on multiple strings. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Isn't that cool? So, so many little tiny things out there. It's it's yeah. so neat. Just when we think we've come up with something new, there's always someone that's done something similar. Um, back over to the chat, just for a quick second, Phoenix Venerable says, uh, hey, there, good evening. Uh, great to see Steve, on the show. I learned my tapping from him. Uh, Tesla Troops is here. John Kerry, I think I mentioned that about the Kiesel earlier. He was asking about that. Uh, Sean Close says, same guitar you were playing last Saturday. Uh, Neil Banbury is here, Row Camp 56. Bobby Clifford, Brusbo. he picked up a new Wolfgang today. Awesome, good to hear. Chris Kerr is here. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah, so yeah, lots of we got a lot of uh, Wolfgang uh, fans on the show, obviously, with uh, Van Halen. Yeah. Uh, is here, funny name, we love him, he's great. Scott Roos is here. Um, let me see, Connor. did you hear um, uh, the Dave and Eddie Broadway show? I did hear about that. Yeah, they're doing some kind of a Broadway show. It's off-Broadway, whatever. The The uh-huh. relationship between David Lee Roth and Eddie Van Halen, that should be, it's not the real people, obviously, actors. Uh, that should be an interesting um, show. Yeah, no. <laughs>
0: well, we were, on, we were on the last tour with with David and Eddie, I mean, when David was still yep. in, in the perhaps the 1984 album. And uh, it was in 1984 year. And I'm sure they named that after George Orwell's book. But, uh, uh, but anyway, yeah, they weren't getting along really well. <laughs> Let's put it that way.
1: Yeah. That, that's, I'm glad you mentioned that, too, for the whole fact. And I know there was some tension on that tour between the bands. and We won't go down that rabbit hole either. Um, not that it was of your fault. Um, but David Lee Roth obviously had a lot to do, um, you know, hearing the demo tape, right. And when you guys were picked up for the tour, didn't you actually on the way to your first gig was, and I I could be completely wrong and and I'm, I'm not ashamed to say I will be wrong. Didn't you name the band on the way to one of the first gigs? Yeah, that's right. Wow.
0: Um, we each wrote down, uh, like in the, in the back of the Winnebago that we were driving from Los Angeles all the way to Jacksonville, Florida, straight across on the, I-10 all the way across and uh, We we didn't have a name for the band because we were actually just guys that got together and jammed together (laughs) And we just put together some songs because we were signed with different artists like me and the keyboard player with were with uh, Holly Penfield on Dreamland Records and um, Steve Plunkett the singer was with Silver Condor with Earl Slick on Columbia Records Kenny uh, Richards the drummer was playing um, with a group called The Coup on A&M Records, and Randy Rand was playing with Lita Ford, Wow, bass player. He was playing with Lita Ford at the time. So um, we just were guys that got together and jam. We went into the studio, Andy Jones, producer Andy Jones, came down to one of our rehearsals and said, you guys got some really tasty stuff that you've written on your own. He says, I got some free time at, at, um, at Gower Studios down in Hollywood, and he says, why don't we go down and cut us a five-song demo? So we did. We did it on, on. We did all five songs on one day, and then we we mixed them on the second day, and uh, that's you know how word about us kind of started getting around. But we still didn't have a name, mm-hmm. and um, so Kenny, <clears throat> our drummer, was jogging every morning with David Lee Roth. He gave them that demo, a copy of that demo, and um, they went back and listened to it. You know, at David's place after they got done jogging, and David loved it, and he said. Kenny, want to go out on tour? Why don't you guys come out on tour with us for the 1984 tour? We don't have anybody yet. And Kenny said, yeah, we'd love to, absolutely love to. But the problem is, everybody was with already signed with another label. playing oh, in a different group. So what we did at the next rehearsals, we got together and we started talking about it and everything. We just thought, you know, we're already done recording with these other bands. You know, we've already got to that. We're not touring out there with them. I thought, you know, what the heck? Let's just put together a band, and we'll think of a name, and, and we'll go out and just play these songs, you know, and at, we wrote a couple more songs so we'd have full set, and uh, we went out, like I said, we borrowed money, to, and we got a Winnebago and drove across the United States, and got to that first gig and started playing, and that's what led to the RCA record signing deal, because we were opening up for Van Halen, we had all these record companies, you know, Warner Brothers and gaffin and, and A&M and everything, and everybody was showing up, Epic Records was always there, and so... Um, But RCA offered us the best deal, and we actually signed our record deal backstage at Madison Square Gardens.
1: What a story, man.
0: So, yeah, it's just kind of like a Cinderella story. Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, obviously, yeah, that was starting to look good on the resume. Who's this this, this band here? Who are these guys who are opening for Van Halen? And obviously, some of the festivals and things. At
0: at that point, when we made up the name, we we just picked the name Autograph out of all the names that we wrote down because we thought, well, we kind of have a signature sound. Okay. You don't sound like anybody. So let's just call it autograph for now. You know, that's what stuck out. And so we just but then once we played in front of so many people, we were kind of stuck with that name. Of course. Because we played in, in front of hundreds of thousands of people during five month period, you know, because each show was a, like basically an 1820 to 21000 seater. And um, so. And they were all sold out, so we played in the lot. Of, you know, over those five months, we played in front of a lot of people. So we decided to keep it.
1: Did you on that tour? Did because uh, here in Canada, the '84 tour in Montreal, I didn't get to see that show. I did. I did see uh, Van Halen every year from '84 through Detroit, and places like that. Uh, uh-huh. It's closer to me. We to, with them in Detroit. Did not in Montreal though, right? Yeah,
0: Hall, uh, where was Coble Hall, Co- or maybe it was Joe Louis.
1: Cobalt, Hall, I think it was.
0: But I think it was Cobalt Hall. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So, okay, but you didn't do the Canadian leg at all with them?
0: Mm-hmm. Yep.
1: You did? You did do some of the Canadian oh, tours?
0: No, no, we didn't play in Canada.
1: Okay, there you go. I was just, just curious. No,
0: we, we only played, the furthest north we got was, you know, of course, New York and uh, Detroit and some other upper Midwest places and upper Northeast places. That's it. You know, like Boston, Philly and all that. So
1: So at that point of that tour, that was probably the biggest audience that you, and you, your professional career at that point had ever played with?
0: Yes, most definitely, Yeah.
1: Now, was there any nerves? It was nerves? exciting.
0: It was a little bit nerve-wracking yeah. getting up on a, you know, our first show was in front of 18,500 people. Oh.
1: You
0: know, we'd never played a live show together before. Yeah. So.
1: And, and, and I mean, I I always hold the the dearest respect of Van Halen, and I never talk negative of them on the show, and we'll we'll dance around this very delicately. I understand that, you, you know, you didn't get to fully explore everything that you would have loved, loved to have done as a band to really prove yourselves. It was a little bit of a leash that you were kept on a little bit.
0: Um, yeah, um, what happened was right before, actually, like a half hour before we went on stage. I was told that I can't use that technique. That's Eddie's thing, and I thought, well, you know, I told him. I said, look, it, I wrote a book about it before I even heard of the guy. Mm-hmm. You know, so um, I said it's it's not really his thing. There was other people doing it. I like mentioned Harvey Mundell and Johnny Smith from back in the um, back in the '30s and everything, and and so, but. The person that came up and said that said no you're not allowed to do that on this tour because that's that's Eddie's thing. And um, so I kind of just had to wing it because I had all these solos pre written out. Yeah, and it was the tour manager that told me I couldn't do it. So it didn't come from Eddie. Yeah, it might have come from Eddie. You know what I mean, but it was the tour manager that related to me that I couldn't use the technique on the
1: tour. Sadly, you're probably talking to a a brick wall at the time if you're talking to a tour manager. I mean, no disrespect, but tour manager doesn't know Harvey Mandel from Howie Mandel. You know what I mean?
0: Absolutely not. Yeah.
1: So I have to think like
0: they're there to watch out for the for the benefit of the band, and that's it.
1: Yep, and that's understandable. You know, you you were the opening band, and we've all been there. And it's not as much as it's cool for us in the moment. They don't really don't care about you. Then no matter who it is.
0: Right. Exactly. Yeah.
1: Exactly. But that's cool, though. I mean, I, I mean, that's not cool. But it's a cool fact that that was a great exposure for you, proved yourself worthy. Record contracts. Uh, you know, seeking you out nowadays, the labels are like next to nothing. You know, it's all self promotion, self. You know, funded indie crowdfunding, all this stuff. We don't have it like back in the day.
0: Right. Exactly. It was. It was very beneficial to us. So you know, I can't say anything bad about you know being on the tour. Of course, you know. That's right. Yeah. Uh, the the person we hung out with most was Michael Anthony. He'd always walk off stage with that Jack Daniel's bass on and he would he'd be carrying a, a full bottle of Jack Daniel's and uh, and he would uncork it and he said that or un, unscrew it in he would say that that's not that's not going back on top of the bottle. Until you know, until we all leave here, that bottle's going to be empty. That's true. Sure, everybody came over; it was empty. You
1: know. That's hilarious. So, yeah, I've I've heard you say good things about him. I've read a lot of interviews with you, and he's always kind of like the uh, the jewel feel life of the party.
0: Oh yeah, most definitely. Yeah, yeah. Michael's just a really down to earth, easy going guy. He's just a lot of fun to be with. And it was, I I saw him about eight months ago when he was down here with Sam Hager. Sam Hager. I went and stopped and said hi to him and hung out on the side of the stage with him while he was playing, kept on running over and, and doing shots with me and then going back out again. And so it was, it was really cool to see him.
1: That yeah. I mean, that guy could hold his liquor. He would, you know, he would have a lot to drink at yeah. night of uh, evening and he was he's still going.
0: I mean, it's, it's amazing how much he could drink. I mean, it's just like, yeah, I'm going, I, I'd be out on the floor.
1: I know. You know. And he's not a big guy. I mean, he's, he's a stocky guy, but he's not a tall guy. He's not a big frame dude. You, you know, you'd, yeah. you'd think he's he'd be passing smart. out. Five eight, and he shorter than me. So. <laughs> wow, and that's something. Yeah, that, I know I've met him before too, and I I was c- quite taller. I'm six two, so it I was kind oh, of, okay, yeah. yeah. It was it was interesting, and I was taller yeah. than Eddie, and that made me happy too. You know, taller than your hero. That's kind of a neat feature. You know, but uh-huh. that's my only my, only bragging right that I can say. That's I've got yeah. nothing else to say. But listen, we're we've uh, talked quite a bit here. Let's d- hop into some fun stuff, and I'm gonna I'm gonna give you one request for some lessons. And, um, just because I know this will get me some thumbs up, I want you to show the guitar players out there something simple that they can show off to their girlfriends and impress their girlfriends. And then are going to come back and they're going to love me forever for doing it. And then you can, okay. and then I'm going to leave it in your talented hands to give us something that you think would really appreciate and we could really learn and benefit from. So you can, you can take from okay. there.
0: Well, I think, uh, one of the easiest things probably to do would be, um, let's take like the root position for E minor pentatonic, you know, and that would be, uh, you know, just that regular, uh, uh, you know, root position where it's up on the twelfth fret. Now, this is one of the things I learned was when, when you're playing it. When I was, this is one of the first things I did actually was I started going. Well, you can play that first position, but then add on the second position. Oh, and you can just do that, you can do it right down the neck. So you're playing, but then your right hand up here is going up to the next position, playing, you know. So it, it actually makes it a really easy thing. So I'm just hammering off my right hand first, pulling off to my first finger, and then hammering on with my third finger. So then I go, and then I do the same thing again, but I do a pull-off to my third finger and then pull-off. And so that's just all playing, you know, just with the pentatonic position. Now, if you want to get a little bit fancier, then you can go up to the next position above that which, okay, like, say for instance if we played this descending in fifths now we're still on the E minor pentatonic mm-hmm. Now I go up the next position above that and I play swings into the
3: same thing.
0: You see, so I'm just playing in fifths and I'm just descending down the pattern, you know, the pattern with each different hand, you know, one being, you know, the root position for E minor pentatonic and then the next one, two, two above that. And then another one that's kind of easy to play, um, but it takes a little bit of time getting used to the coordination. And that is when you're doing, like, say, for instance, you're playing E minor pentatonic again. We'll stay on this because if we jump around different keys, it makes it a lot more difficult to understand. Sure. Okay. Now this is what we're looking at. I'm going to use my second finger for all the notes that are on the 12th fret. Now what I'm going to do is I'm going to use the second finger on my right hand for all the notes that are on the 15th. 14, 14, 14, and 15. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to hit that first one. My second finger is already going to be in place here, but I'm going to hit that first note. Then, once I get to the top of the neck, I'm going to pull it off slide that one up. Then, I'm going to go to the second string. 15, 12, 14 14, 14, 14, 14,
3: 14, 14, 15, 15. 14, 15, 15, 15. see what I mean? So, it kind of gives it a cool sound.
1: I like that a lot. Hand over hand. That's very cool.
0: And uh, so there's a lot of different things you can do with that. Um, one of the things that I, I started messing around with years ago was how to get um, a real, you know, kind of a fluttery sound off of the strings. Um, and that's what I, I'll, I'll play it down here. I'm going to play it on the A note down up on the uh, third string on the third uh, on the second fret. And then what I'm going to do on top of it is I'm going to get my right finger. My second figure, I'm going to go over the top of the string like that, just brushing it. And now listen to me. second as You see what I mean? It gets a weird sound. It's not like you're going like this. Because you can hear that. You can hear it going up each fret. But with this, it just sounds very chromatic, like you're hitting all the polytones in between. Yeah. See what I mean? There's a whole different sound to it. I like you that. But that's do descending whichever way you want to do it. And um, another one that I like to play, let's let's go into like E Aeolian, which is also A Dorian, whichever one you want to play it in. But now what I'm going to do is I'm going to do like a little sweep here where it goes. So it's just third finger on the 14th, second finger on the second string on the on the, my first finger on the uh on the 12th so i'm going like this and then i'm going to hammer off my third finger on the to, to the to the first string on the 14th fret then i'm going to take my right hand and i'm going to go 15 14 12 15 13 12
3: 14 12
0: It's like almost like a little bit of Alan Holesworthy, you know, because of the fact that it's really legato. Mm-hmm. You're just playing out of, you know, Aeolian, but uh, it gives it a whole different sound.
1: I love so, that. There's there's one technique you did. Um, I think it's what you do in your solo spot. You do a bit of hammerhead, right, um, when you do your solo spot with the band? Uh, and there's this technique you did. I'm going to just try to describe it. It's almost like you're walking down the fretboard with your finger, but you you would, Oh, right.
0: Okay. Yeah. That's when... Um, Okay, so it's it's basically out of A Dorian, is what I'm, I'm playing a lot of it. And a lot of it's A, a minor pentatonic that I'm playing the solo out of. But what I'm doing here is I'm, I'm going up and I'm doing this. You can't have a pick in your mouth, but no. I'm going. Doing basically is I'm bending up, and you got it. You got to think that once you're bent up, then you got to lower the scale down. When you're bent up a whole step, you got to lower the scale down the notes that you're playing above it. Okay, down a whole step. You see, because you want it to still fit into the scale, but you're playing that scale, but it's down a whole step. So when I do that, <laughs> then I pull off. I just flick it away. Then I. It gets kind of a cool effect, you know, when you're when you're doing that. So um it's like when you, if you were to hear it on record, you'd have one hell of a time figuring it out oh, what's going no on. Things. You have to watch the person doing it. You yeah. know what I'm saying? So
2: that's that's a... then,
0: uh, there's also a spot on Hammerhead uh, that I use in my solo. This from Hammerhead also, and that's taking. Okay, I'm am right here. I'm, I'm playing. So I'm playing basically the 15th fret on the high E string. I'm playing the the fourth or the 13th fret on the B string, and then I'm playing the 12th fret on the um, on the on the G string. Okay, so now this is what I'm doing is I'm going. Pattern with my right hand. So it's actually going then down a fifth, or uh, down a fifth, and then down a fourth. And I'm I'm copying the same thing from my right hand, but I'm doing it on the 17th, the 15th, and the 19th, the 17th, and the 16th. Sounds very interesting. doing there is it's basically just really, um, it's going down chromatic. See what I'm doing? Something like that. So it gives it a different, different sound because the intervals are spread further apart
2: mm-hmm.
0: This is like almost as if you did okay let's go back to uh the minor pentatonic again but let's do this in a minor let's play an octave dispersion okay so now what i would do is i'd play this i would i would play for instance like with my right hand here's a minor pentatonic up on the uh up on the uh 12th and 15th <laughs> I can play the A minor pentatonic in root position up on the seventeenth fret.
3: So one of those are good. And then, see what I'm saying there?
0: Now I yep. go like this. I add the two together so that makes the intervals a lot further apart you know and so it's really hard to decipher what you're doing because you're hearing these notes just sporadically jump all over the place when you're doing it but it's a cool effect i like it see like that and you really got to get it right now i'm getting a bit of noise because i don't have the the muter on the end of the strings but um you know you can really calm down that extra you know, string feedback and everything and the, all the extra little notes that are coming out. I was going to ask you about that. Yeah. I just, it's somewhere in here. I just couldn't find it. <laughs> but uh,
1: No problem. I was, I was going to ask you if that was a damper.
0: You know, oh, or or else you can do this. The <laughs> cheap way that I used to do it is I would take my shoe off and take my sock off yep. in the studio. And you can see, actually see pictures of this um, where I'm tying the sock around the end of the net when I'm doing my hammer-on parts, you know, um, to keep all the other strings from from sounding out. So yeah. But that's what I first started using. Then eventually, now I have a new design that I've come up with that's adjustable for different size necks. Oh, that's good. So I'm going to be. It's already developed. It's ready to go. So oh,
1: I'm fantastic.
0: The right one, possibly Ernie Ball, because I just I just signed a deal with them. So
1: nice, nice. Yeah. Before I describe how what I what I envision in my mind, what you're, when you're doing the Descending stuff, that, which was very, very cool from Hammerhead there, I'll tell you in a second what it sounds like. I just want to give a big thank you to Jason Wade. He just did a super chat. And he said, um, Steve Lynch and Nocturnal Butterfly, thanks for this live stream. It's so cool to see a guitar hero live. Much appreciated. Uh, no problem. It's, it's nice to be able to have uh, uh, Steve join us tonight and play. So what? Um, so thank you, Jason. Um, when yeah, you're absolutely. De- yeah, when you're doing that Descending thing, do you know what it really reminded me of? I don't want to say, like, I, I'm a big sci-fi fan. Like Uh um, uh, Close Encounters, you know, and I'm even going to go as bold as say, and this might sound a little silly, but E.T., I did enjoy that movie. I just pictured that sound as like in a a chase scene in a sci-fi movie or something. That's what I get from it.
0: And you know what they used to do, and this is where I used to get some of my ideas from, is from a keyboard, like a a synth keyboard, or from the violin parts. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, and and I've listen to the violin parts and I go, God, that's really cool. How would I do that on guitar? Oh, well, it's really actually very hard because you're hearing different violin parts altogether, but then you add your your left hand and or your right hand, and then you, you can do a couple of those parts together and you can actually actually be harmonizing with yourself. And that's another thing right there, is just being able to harmonize with yourself. See, when you go down a scale, like let's just say let's just say a eight or Now, what you could do is you can play that of course, it will be two notes down from the original. See what I mean? But you're har- you're actually harmonizing with yourself Yeah. you're playing the harmony note. You know?
1: That's absolutely fantastic. Um I've got Yeah,
0: there's simple little ideas like that. You see it you can see it's really not that difficult to play. No. It just sounds really cool.
1: Yeah. I was watching another one of your instructions. This goes back to your, like, way back. This goes back to the REH videos. Um, you know, obviously, we talked about Paul Gilbert earlier. He had some great lessons on REH as well.
0: But yeah, I, yeah, he was on REH, too. I was. I did the first very first video on REH. Oh, that's
2: cool. You're the first guy to yeah, do it.
0: The first one. That's when Roger Hutchinson of REH actually first got started and asked me to be on the first one. Because I... I knew those guys from Seattle anyway, you know, but I was still living in L.A. because it was after I graduated. It was, oh, God, it was uh, uh it was eight years after I graduated. I went up uh, October of 87, up, flew back up to Seattle and actually recorded the video up there.
1: That's something I did not know. So I'm very, I've, that's a cool fact I just learned tonight. So the very first guy on the uh, REH video series. That's great. But yeah. where I was going with that, well, was a comment too. Gussie Wells says, I must tune in, this, uh, tune in more often. Great stream. Thank you. Nice to have you here. I appreciate that. Um, one of the Very techniques cool. you were talking about, and, uh, and I, I I'm probably can't retell it exactly the way you said, but for people getting into the two hand tapping, you were doing something along the lines of just like a two note per string. And you'd say, now do this all the way across the fretboard with your first finger, then repeat it with your second finger, then your third finger and your fourth finger while you're getting your fingers trained and strong. Is that something that you would recommend? Like repeat those? patterns? Oh priorities? yeah,
0: absolutely. Like, okay. Like say for instance, like playing just out of that first thing that I did, the, 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 um, E minor pentatonic, uh, you can use your first finger.
3: You can do it with your second finger then. You
0: can use your third finger on your right hand. That's what you want to do. It's sort of a little string noise, but, um, Basically one of the things you want to do now another thing is this this is a really good exercise and I came up with this quite a while ago and that is just playing like um, say for instance on the third string I'm going to start on on the uh, fourth fret I'm going to go four, six, six, seven, eight. do that
3: eight times one two three
0: four now you go four, two, three, four. Now you go one or one, three, four, two, one, three, 4, 2. you, know, you go through all the different number combinations all the way down to where
3: or you're starting with your fourth finger.
0: But I'll give you an example here. Okay, now what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna play that. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna go ahead and I'm gonna play with my right hand starting on the ninth press. This is gonna be ninth 10th, 11th, of So I'm gonna go ahead and I'm gonna You see, so you can see that I'm using each different finger. Then you would start the ones that start with your second one. Second finger two one three four two one three four. So you go in every different number combination that you possibly can with each hand.
1: So what I what yeah. I think is so cool about that is the fact that a lot of us are are a lot of us kind of favor or actually I shouldn't favor, but ignore our pinky on our fret hand. And it's one thing to get that. I've seen some guys and girls out there that have like this pinky that get crushed steel, and a lot of us are kind of let like tucked away and it's kind of like the the ugly stepchild. But you're <laughs> no, not only do you right. have strong uh, fret hand. You're telling us now we got to get our pinky strong on our 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 picking right. hand,
0: right? And that's a that's a difficult one to do. But um, you know, it's just like being a three finger guitar player with your left hand. It's <laughs> it's kind of limiting. Yeah. And if you're just playing with three fingers on your right hand, then that's limiting as well. I,
1: I know. The a one lot thing of...
0: it will cause those the more you use your pinkies, the more likely you are to get carpal tunnel.
1: Okay. Yeah. Okay. It's that's that's good.
0: Operations on both hands for carpal tunnel, and yeah. Basically, I had to kind of back off on using my pinky too much because that's what was causing it. That's what the doctor said.
1: Oh, go easy on it. Yeah. Okay. So. that's that's a good point to to be aware of as well too. I know some of these things. That I've you know downloaded some lessons offline, and uh, you know you're doing some of these stretches, and you and you feel it right away. If you're not used to it, you're like, oh, and you got you got to watch those warning signs and be aware of that because you could end up hurting yourself if you're not. It's like you know you, oh, don't, yeah. you don't go out and run a marathon without warming up.
0: Right, exactly, and one of the things that I recommend, um, if you are one of those pl- players that do play it with a lot of stretches, you know, um, is to 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 be able to like really reach long distances, you know, uh, for more linear style playing. What you have to do is you have to stretch out the webbing in between your fingers, and you can do that just by simply using your right hand to stretch out okay that webbing in between your first and second fingers.
2: Yeah, with
0: that- your second and third. Not to the point where it hurts, just to the point where you can feel it stretching. And you'll be sitting there in your car at a stoplight or something. You can do that. And, you, of course, you can even do the same thing with your right hand as well, you know, if you're if you're interested in, in playing a lot of two-headed technique. So it works both ways.
1: That's, I was just kind of doing that as you were telling me here. And, and, and you, you can feel a pain if you go too far. But um, I like that idea.
0: <laughs> because when I was first going to the Guitar Institute, they said you should be able to reach the third fret with your first finger to the 10th fret with your fourth finger. And I'm going, I don't think so. Not <laughs> with the hands. I, I got some pretty short fingers. But you know what? Eventually, I was able to do it. Yep. So it's a long stretch. And it may look like an octopus when I'm doing it, but that's basically. You know, I was able to
1: stretch him out that far, so I was able to do it. Oh, that's all, a lot of us that I'm um, here on the channel that, you know, yeah. follow Eddie Van Halen as a guitar player as well, too. Some of those things, you know, it's some of those crazy, crazy stretches. He has small hands. He has quite small hands. Um, and he does these crazy stretches as well, too. You'd, you'd wonder sometime, like, you know, you sometimes just see him shake his hand out, whatever. Obviously, a little bit of pain. But some of those stretches and to do that fluid like you guys do, I guess after a while, it just becomes muscle memory, I guess.
0: Who, who was doing that? Paul Gilbert was.
1: No, Eddie Van Halen. Like you know, the Oh, really? sp- he, yeah. mean he
0: was. He was uh, shaking his hand out a little. A little bit, bit
1: yeah. You know, you'd see him. You'd see him do those <laughs> crazy stretches, and he'd shake his hand a little bit, just probably just to get ready for it. Or I don't think it was necessarily hurting, but just getting his hand prepared for some of those stretches.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It, if you don't stretch out beforehand and stuff, it can be a little bit painful. I always, I never go on stage without at least. Um, half hour or 40 minutes of just exercises first because um, otherwise I get up there and there are certain things that I can't reach or certain things I can't do. I have to go through these exercises first in order to be able to pull them off, you know. So
1: yeah. I understand that completely. I really like that, that stretching idea, though, that you were just talking about. That's really, really cool technique. There's, you know, things to do, you know, that can, can help uh, prepare for that and to, you know, kind of uh, expand your stretch, which is great. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, someone in the chat had a question here. Um, I think it was RowCamp 56 He was saying, um, I kind of lost where it was he was at. Oh, yeah. He says, what is Steve's live and studio setup? And I know we had an earlier question from Carlos Santon too. Last time you are on the show, you were talking about a boss product you were using for your um, your sound processing. But can you tell us kind of what you're using now, amp-wise, effects-wise, and things like that?
0: Yeah, sure. I'm using the ISP Theta, theta X. Okay. Right? In fact, that's what I'm playing through right now. And um, I'm just going through a couple of little micro speakers here. Uh, it sounds much better through a, a real amplifier and and uh, you know a couple Marshall caps. But um, you know I'm just doing it in here, so I'm just kind of keeping it light. Um, but you know I like to check out different gear all the time. Back in the day, like if you look at, back at the solo for Hammerhead, mm-hmm. say for, you know you'll see a rack next to me, a 20 space rack, and every every space on that rack is filled up with something. You know like like. <laughs> Like the ADA system and and the Rocktron and all that, you know, I was always experimenting with different stuff, including the Marshall, um, you know, preamp that they had out for a while. And so I was always trying different things and they were throwing them at me like Frisbees, you know, I mean, yeah. it was just like, like, hey, try this, you know, and so, and I was like, I'd go to a NAM show. One NAM show I went to, I walked out with 12 guitars. Oh my goodness. And they were all nice guitars. And I'm going, what am I going to do with all these, you know? Yeah. But uh, it was really cool. They just wanted me to check them out see if I liked them, you know? And, and same thing with the gear. I'd be walking out with with different rack mount stuff and different pedals and everything. And they basically are just kind of throwing them at you. And like, here, check this out. Let me know what you think. And they'd give me their card and everything. And,
1: Hopefully that uh, you would endorse it, in, in cool. other words. Yep. Yeah.
0: Money for nothing and gifts for free.
1: There you go. That's right. We're, you want to talk about some small gear, something we're going to be talking about on Sunday. I was kind of telling you about this off the air, but one of your college alums, uh, Jennifer Batten's on my other show on uh, Helix Sour on Sunday. And one of the cool things about her, um, I mean, I know you guys go way back, but she's of the mindset that if the stuff doesn't fit in my suitcase, I'm not using it. I don't care how good it is, it has to fit in my suitcase. And one of the things we're taking a look at, she just ooh, got... Oh, Jennifer said that? Yeah, yeah. That's
0: exactly what I do. There if it you go. doesn't sit on my, sit, fit in my carry on, I don't take it. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. Everything else, you know, it's always supplied. I, I have a back, mm-hmm. backlight rider that I have to have there. But no, if it doesn't fit in my suitcase, I don't take it. That's right. And then I have a double gig guitar bag that I just carry on my back, and that's got my wireless unit in it and everything. And, and that's it. I just have a guitar case and a suitcase.
1: So fantastic. Yeah. Well the, the, I travel
0: light. And then that way, I don't have to check anything. Mm-hmm. I, sometimes I have to gate check my guitar, my guitars, I should say, because they're both in one case. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, the suitcase comes with me with, with my uh, effects board right inside of it.
1: That's perfect. We're going to be taking a look at a, like a competing product on Sunday, but we're going to be taking a look at this guy here. It's pretty small. It's, oh, that's great! What is that? That's the a brand new from Line Six. is called the HX Stomp. So you're probably familiar with Helix. Helix is up yeah, there, yeah. like the, you know, you got your Kemper's, you got your Helix, you got your Fractals, you got your uh, right. boards, or the Headrushes, I should say. So this is basically Helix in a in a size of a basically like a double size MXR pedal. That's all it is. All the Helix. Okay, now,
0: has it got? Okay, now those three switches on the front mm-hmm. uh, are those three different sounds? Can you program it that way? Or yep.
1: Yep. OK. So you can use because, it.
0: In, so then you have three presets you can go to right away before you have to go to another bank.
1: Yeah, or get this. Here's what's really cool. With any digital, model, any digital modeler out there, all of them, the ISP, BOSS, um, everybody, even line six, if you're going to go from preset to preset, everybody has a bit of a um, um, like a millisecond of, of dropout. Everyone has it. No, right. one, no one has it, so it's not perfect like that. So you can set it up to be a stomp. I could have like a phaser. I can have a chorus. I can have a distortion, if I want to set it that way or I can have presets, and inside what line six does is they have a thing called snapshots. So picture you got your Marshall amp behind you, and for your rhythm tone, you know, it's a one channel amp, we'll say, for your rhythm tone, you've got hardly any gain, and your volume's about halfway. And then for your lead tone, if you would have a second Marshall, your lead tone would be gained probably three o'clock, and your master volume up higher. So it's almost like you're taking a snapshot and with a camera, how you would set that up. And these products, you create a snapshot, so it's the same preset inside a preset, with things change. Maybe there's phaser on that part of the uh, snapshot that oh. wasn't on the other one. There's no latency, so you switch. There's nothing. It's phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. Now, the only limitation oh. in something like this compared to the bigger brother is you can only have six blocks. But for you, I can see you'd no problem. Rhythm, I mean, sorry, like a reverb delay, um, maybe maybe some kind of a modulation effect, an amp mm-hmm. modeler, um, and you still got a couple blocks left over.
0: Right. Oh, man, that sounds perfect because so, that thing's a lot smaller than what I'm using right now. Look at
1: the size of my hand compared to it. I mean, you know,
0: it's wow, 600, 600
1: bucks US. And I'm certainly not trying to sell them on there. Yeah, I'm just trying to came pitch out. it would Say that again?
0: It, it just came out.
1: About a month ago. Yeah.
0: Yeah. A month ago. Okay, I haven't even seen that one yet. Yeah. Because take... I'm always shopping around mm-hmm. looking at... Um, you know, different online buying sites just to see what new gear is out there. Yeah. Sweetwater and stuff. Yeah, of
1: course. Yeah. They're one of the best for sure. Well, this is kind of funny because I've had Jennifer on the show here before and, you know, we are talking about, you know, her time in Michael Jackson and obviously the Eddie Van Halen, you know, influence and connection, things like that. So this is a real twist. She's coming on a completely different show on Sunday and I'll make sure I say hi to her uh, for you. But, um, you know, yeah, she's moved over to this, and she's like, "Hey, do you think you can help me build a?" She she goes, "For the rest of my life, I'm going to be being asked to play the beat it guitar solo. Can you help me with that?" So I made a preset for her, and I've sent it to her, and I'm really nervous because I haven't heard back from her yet. We talk a lot, but I'm uh-huh. kind of, I'm kind of feeling that she's like, "How am I going to tell Eric his preset sucks?" You know, I, I, I don't know if that's the case, and I'm hoping that's not the case, but we'll find out on Sunday. But it's really cool. You dive into this thing, no learning curve, and you can have everything from a Dumble to a Fender to a Marshall to a Diesel to, you know, whatever you want.
0: So just as as those three buttons, though, you can have those each set as a preset. Like, say, for one, number one would be like a, a heavy-duty lead with some delay on it. Number two would be just like a, a stock rhythm that you really like. And number three would be a clean sound with some, some chorusing on it, stuff like that. Yep. And so... That that would be really convenient to have that on stage, and then maybe be able to go to another bank and have them switch into three different effects.
1: Yes, you can so do that.
0: If it can do that, then that's all I really need.
1: You should look into yeah. it. Um, hit up your local music store down your way, wherever that is. If they have, have a look for Line Six. Just go in and check yeah, one out.
0: Sam Ash down here in Guitar Center and all that, but the Sam Ash down here is huge.
1: It's perfect. They'll have them. That well, yeah. I, I shouldn't say they're they're selling so much right now that some stores won't have. Give them a call before you go down there, unless you're going down, yeah. you know, to look at some other stuff as well too. But um, yeah, it's kind of just want to pass it along to you and, and share share some of the uh, you know other cool things that are out there.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um, what I can do is is also what I like about Sweetwater is everything that they have come out, they demo it, so you can hear the sounds of it and everything. Mm-hmm. So I Always watch the video of exactly what the the new pedal sounds like or whatever it may be.
1: That's right. There's if you get a chance sometime, uh, obviously not. I, you're really busy with the tour and things like that too. But take a look on my channel here. Um, I got them in playlists. If you go to the homepage of my channel, I've got playlists for EVH and gear, which you're on now. Then I've got uh-huh. the Helix Hour, and there's one with a big yellow thumbnail. And my Canadian buddy here, he's pretty much one of the most recognized guys in the Line Six community for, for. Uh, he has this dialing in series. You know, he could do a what? dialing in Steve Lynch series, and he would show how to get your tone. He would do a dialing in Jimi Hendrix and show how to get his tone. Um, but he's a master of this, uh, stomp and he was actually commissioned by line six to provide presets for it. So it comes with about 10, ten of his presets. So really? he was here in my studio, literally physically here in the studio. We only live about an hour apart. He came down here a couple weeks ago and, um, he's demoing the product himself on my channel. Take a look at that. That'll give you a good idea what it can do. Oh, very cool. Yeah, and it's it's well, only an hour long, and you can skip through it. Too. You'll just see, you know, it's, it's this watch where I'm not nodding my head a million times like this, and just watch for him playing, and you'll get to right. uh, to, get to hear it physically.
0: Right, yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah. Let's go back to the chat for the last few minutes here. We just got about five minutes left in the program. I want to make sure I didn't um, uh, miss anybody. I know I missed a few. Uh, so Mark Dillon was asking you about your guitar, but we I know you discussed it earlier, but just drop the name one more time, the one that you're currently using. I know you're working on something else, but the current one, again, is a...
0: It's it's called a Dale Roberts. Here it is.
1: Dale Roberts. Nice.
0: <laughs> Roberts guitars. There you go. Uh, but there, it's just a small shop out of um, Jacksonville, Florida, and he just does great work. And um, I just I had this design in mind, and I I brought up my design. We kept on working on it till it was skinny as I wanted it to be and light as I wanted it to be, and and uh, this is the way it worked out. And I put my old graph on it from the. Uh, from the um, 80s, that's actually, a lot of people have asked me about what that is, and the graph is actually, um, you know, on a graph, so I put one graph on the guitar, so okay. basically that's what it is. It's not a, a heartbeat, it's not a lightning bolt, it's just a graph.
1: I I, uh, I tried to duplicate that on the thumbnail for your video here today, and I failed at it miserably, and I'm a graphic designer, but I, but I, I always thought it might have been a pulse or a, like a, a radio wave or something, so it's nice to know.
0: Yeah, that's what it was. But it can be any of those things. <laughs> of course, it could.
1: That's right. I love that. You know, okay. if you got a pulse, you're you're a candidate to listen to the monograph, That's for sure.
0: Yeah, that's right. That's exactly.
1: Right. Uh, Rob uh, Gagario says, great interview, Eric. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, and Scott Connor says uh, he noticed when he met Joe Saturani that his hands aren't that big. So it goes to show <laughs> you, you don't have necessarily have to have uh, huge hands to be able to do um, the tricks, you know, is, is how you use them, right? That can be taken in right. a lot different ways, too. but. Um, guess who else? Eric, you have some serious good interview skills. Awesome. Thank you. I'm, I'm learning every day. I appreciate that, though. Very much appreciated. Um, okay, this is a very good question. So um, Chad Woodruff says uh, you talked about warm-up routines. Do you have a specific warm-up routine to get ready, like basically maybe physically for yourself and for your hands?
0: Yes. Um, okay, like that one I was talking about earlier with the two hands, well, like when you're going. Well, what I would do, is that's one, two, three, four. But then you go through all the number combinations. If you go through all the number combinations that you possibly can, one, three, two, four, one, three, uh, four, three, one, four, two, three, one, four, three, two. Then you go two, one, three, four. And then you can add your right hand on like I was showing earlier. And you go. And
3: now there's another one
0: also that you can do. It's, it's kind of like going down your flat fits. You're going.
3: And
2: then you can do it too.
0: That's a Hard to do. It's hard to keep the string noise off from that one because you're playing all the way up on the yeah on the low E string, you know, and that's just the string noise just starts coming off big time on that. I should put a damper on it. In fact, I do have a washcloth right here. I could put that on it. Like, <laughs> uh, I know we're running out of time. No, that's okay. Well, uh, oh, there's one other one that I wanted to show. This kind of a, kind of a little bit of um for one where you're doing. Like it's almost like a unison bend, where you're you're hitting the A note on the third string on the fourteenth fret, and your your left hand is on the third string on the twelfth fret. So you're just down a whole of course on the other strings
1: otherwise they're gonna they're gonna sound all that crazy i I like how guys like and i I don't want to say just guys who some of the uh, killer players jennifer batten and you know a million other shredders out there women shredders too but i love how you all have these cool tricks yet they're not taken from one another like joe Satriani does one in a similar style to what you do but certainly isn't isn't taking anything from you and i know you're not taking anything from him he does that one he used to call it like the lizard down the throat and he would start Uh like on, on the g string on the second fret he would um he would uh hit there and he would; it would be an aggressive pick, and he would slide all the way up to G string while he's taking the whammy bar down. So the note is ascending while the whammy bar is descending, and it would physically go over every bump on every fret. And it's he, oh, com- right, yeah, the right. lizard down the throat. That's kind of a neat technique.
0: Yes, and there's another thing you can do where it sounds like you're bending, like you're. Con- it's a continuous bend. Okay. And that is when you use the vibrato arm up like up like this. And let's say I'm just playing. The E minor pentatonic on a phone like this. But now I'm gonna I'm gonna stand up with my right hand. Now once that E is reached, I'm gonna hit the E on this. It almost sounds like you're really exaggerating the bends. Yeah. And another thing, like what you were just talking about, about two pitches working against one another. mm -hmm. Well, what you can do is you can take, um, like, let's say, for instance, I'll go up to the 20th fret here. And I'm going to grab with my third finger. I'm going to go up and I'm going to grab from the E string. I'm going to grab the B string and have it come down so that the E string is going straight. And the B string is actually connecting right with it there. Now, watch when I pick them both and bend it up slowly. What you do is you have one pitch going up and one pitch going down, and they start crossing each other, and it's a really ugly pitch that you get. So you can hear one going up and one going down. See what I mean? It's just like a really sick sound. That is cool. Uh, Yeah, but that's just one of those things where you just – you just experiment. And I, I actually accidentally hit that one time when I was just goofing around, and I thought, wait a minute, that was kind of cool.
2: How did I it's do just, that? Um,
0: you can know, get these different pitches. I watched Steve Vai do that one time where he was actually getting pitches by bending his string off the neck. Over the front. See what I mean? Like that. Da, 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 da. And um, I thought that's, that's kind of a cool effect, but he worked on it to the point where he actually... You don't know, got the notes. You
1: know, to come out really clearly with it. I agree. The last, the second last one you did. Uh, I, I you know. Just to give an analogy, I like to try to put a, a picture in everybody's minds. I, I uh, when you're doing the the really deep bends there, I could picture two whales having a very good time out in the ocean somewhere to that little sound. It's <laughs> so like a major right. of oil. Yeah, that's perfect. Yeah. No, that's fantastic. Listen, we are at the ten thirty mark. I've had a, a fantastic evening with you. I told you would go by fast. Um, Ninety minutes yeah, feels that's like forty five. Really Absolutely. I'm going to do the same thing again, like I did last time. I'm going to extend an open invitation, maybe in the spring of uh, 2019. Are you doing NAM this this year? Uh, yes,
0: we'll be at NAM, so I'll see you there.
1: Oh, good. You'll meet my boy too. He's coming with me, so it's going to be a lot of fun. He'll be uh, thrilled to uh, to meet you. And actually, thank you once again too. You were kind enough to send not only myself but uh, Eric Jr. some nice eight by tens, autographed and uh, guitar picks. He treasures them greatly, and I've got you on my rock wall, very proudly displayed. So. Uh, well, very- you're, you're a class act, and we really appreciate you here. And I know the people here in the chat, uh, both guys and girls, uh, really enjoy you. And, you know, we grew up listening to you. And, and you're, you're a good role model for for people out there uh, getting into guitar. Maybe just before we go, can you just a little bit of advice for someone, you know, that wants to be the next guitar hero out there? What could you say to him or her?
0: Yeah, find your own niche. And always play. Get to know your theory. This is really important is getting to know your theory. And always play with emotion. I mean, you know, really, it takes sometimes life's bitter situations to make you be able to play that way. But listen to blues players, the way that they bend and the way that they bra and stuff, because a lot of that's lost in today's guitar playing. Um, not that you want to become a blues player, uh, but you just want to be able to pick up that technique from them and find something, experiment on the guitar. And, and with different amplifiers and effects and everything, that becomes yours. Just like, okay, say for instance, The Edge of U2.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, Edge just plays all these incredible sounds. You know, he's not a real technical player or anything, but he, he just, that's his thing. And you know, he's, that's him playing it right as soon as you first hear. him. So it's more about what your ingenuity is, how you innovate, you know, how you create, you know, and how original you sound. That's what it's all about. And write, write, write. Get into writing songs. It's there's there's a million guys that can play out there. They're playing a million miles an hour, and sweeping these arpeggios all over the house. Okay, but the thing is, are they playing? You know, are they making money off of it? Mm-hmm. The way to make money is from the writing. Period.
1: Very well said. And I really like how you mentioned um, uh, the edge. I'll throw another guitar player out there that I love a lot, and I don't necessarily think he's got the you know the the vocabulary of some other these shredders. Tom Morello. You know, the way yes. he, the way he uses effects. So here's, here's a piece of advice I'm going to use for what you've said and expand here as well too, is don't be hindered by your technical ability, that your ability that you don't have today may not be what's holding you back. You know, it could be that right. trick. It could be that little thing. Maybe you're using a TV remote control or a ray gun like Steve, you know, Steve Stevens or whatever, you know, yeah. whatever it is, find your thing like you said and, um, go with it, man. You don't have to be the world's And even Eddie has said shredding is cool. Not all the time.
0: Right, exactly, exactly. Find your own niche, perfect it, and that's who you are.
1: That's it. Thank you, great advice. We've had some great comments in the in the chat towards the end here. Everyone's enjoying the show. They're very appreciative of your, uh, your time with us this evening, and uh, we wish you the continued success with the tour. I guess last thing, um, <laughs> there's always a last thing. The album obviously did so very, very well. Um, is there an itch to get back in the studio and do another one?
0: Yes, eventually, but right now... You know, we've got this album out, and we've only released a couple singles off of it. There's also some more, you know, and and probably towards the end of next year, we'll probably get back in and start recording some new material. Good to hear. it'll, It'll take a different turn, too, of course. we always, I always like to do something a little bit different on each album. You know, like, why approach it the same way? You know, do something a little bit different.
1: Good, good, fantastic. We picked up some new people here tonight as well. We're very thankful. So listen, uh, we hope everyone enjoyed the show, and I hope you're able to warm up your weekend. Come and see us again over on Sunday, 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 12 p.m. Pacific. Steve's good friend Jennifer Batten, uh, GIT uh, alum, is going to be on the show. We're going to have some fun with her as well. And uh, Steve, I'll say goodbye to you off here. But thank you again for a killer show. You uh, you, you hit a home run for us tonight.
0: Oh, great. Thank you very much, Eric. I appreciate it.
1: No problem. Don't go away was a goodbye off here. Everyone. Thanks so much. Have a great weekend. Stay uh, safe out there, and we'll see you very soon until next time. Cheers. Okay, sounds good. Thank you again. Hey, EVH Care TV and Eddie Van Halen fans. If you are like me, you find the time to read books difficult. Why not have it read to you? Grab one of three critically acclaimed Van Halen audiobooks, like Van Halen Rising by Greg Renoff, Running with the Devil by Noel Monk, or Everybody Wants Some by Ian Christie, available right now from Audible. Sign up for a free trial with zero obligation to get any one of these three audiobooks today. You can cancel if you wish after your trial membership expires and keep the book. There are many other great titles to choose from as well. Links in the description below, but just remember audibletrial.com slash EVHgearTV. Click the link below and go grab your first free audiobook. Thank you for listening to this edition of EVH and Gear TV. This episode is being brought to you in part by vanhalenstore.com. Shop VanHalenStore.com for the largest selection of
0: official Van Halen merchandise and memorabilia. Be sure to check out our website at EVHGearDiscussion.com for more updates and follow us on social media.